good morning. You guys doing well this morning here in the building? Yeah? Thanks for being here. So glad to have you join us this morning. If you're joining us online as well, glad you're with us this morning. Uh, we miss seeing your faces, but uh, we're glad you're able to utilize technology to join us this morning. And uh, if you ever have any questions or need any more information, um, we've got some great hosts online that uh, each week uh, Follow along the message the best they can and are there to help you out. So thanks for joining us this morning. My name is Nate Westerfield. I'm the Creative Arts Pastor here. Most of you know me. If you don't, you do now. And I'd love to get to know you if you're new this morning at Great Oaks as well. Um, but I've been here for a, for a while and it's been a blessing. And um, I tell you what, this series has been really neat to be able to go back and look at different characters throughout the Redeemed series as each pastor, each speaker has taken a character in the Bible and looked at how God has utilized them and their life and redeemed their good and bad decisions for his purpose and his glory. And so we've looked at uh, different characters like Paul and Jonah and Tamar, right, and Jehoshaphat and Paul. And so if you've missed any of those messages, you guys can go online at greatoaks.church slash media and watch those again. But it's just been a great series to look at how God uses us and people despite our messes. And so that's been a great time to be able to go through those. And today I, I get the pleasure of uh, talking about uh, brothers, right? So I, I have two brothers. Um, my middle brother is Josh, and then my baby brother is Aaron. So if you didn't catch that, middle brother Josh, baby brother Aaron that puts me at the oldest, right? So I'm the, the firstborn. Um, so I got to pick on my little brothers a little bit. Um, but what I remember about growing up with my brothers is, is this camaraderie that we had, right? At times, there were the best of times, right? I, my best of friends is in my brothers. Today, as an adult, I can say that. We confide in each other. We help each other along. We do life together and, and all those things. But as kids, that's not always the case, is it, right? You might have good times and good moments where you're working together for a common goal or a common purpose, but then there's those fun, playful wrestling matches that happen in the basement where you're laughing and giggling and then something happens and it goes from a full-on fun time to full-on war, right? If you have brothers or sisters, you've, you've been there, right? You've been there. You've, you've been in that moment where you guys are just playing around. You're just having a good time and then something happens. Something maybe said. Maybe they give you an elbow the wrong way or what. And it's just, then it just goes a little bit more up, and then it just continues to escalate, and then finally, man, you're just in a full-out battle, right? And I so with brothers, that's the way it happened. And, and you know what? That's how boys tend to do it, right? Girls sometimes, I know, I don't have any girls, but I've heard that sometimes it may not be aggressive physically, but man, sometimes the words can come into play, right? And so, so we use our words to hurt people. But what I do remember is one time, specifically, me and my brother Josh were playing we were wrestling, we were in the hallway, we ended up in my bedroom, and all of a sudden, uh, Josh made a comment to me, and it just made me mad, and I got him down on the bed. He's my middle brother, right? He's the middle, so keep that in mind. Um, he's middle brother, he said something, I got him on the bed, and, I, was, and I, I had put my fist up in the air, and I was like, don't you say that again, and of course, middle brother said it again, and I went to try to miss him and punch the side of the bed just to warn him, but he turned right into it. Dang it, he turned right into it. Now, that made my brother really mad. He made him really, 
really mad. But here's the thing when my brother Josh got really mad. So when my brother Josh got really mad, I got very hysterical on how he responded. So every time he got mad and his face got red and he started coming at me, I just couldn't help but laugh. Well, that didn't help the situation, right? It only invigorated him more to be more mad, but I laughed more. And so it just like, ah, I couldn't win for nothing. But mom and dad, they interceded, they broke us up, right? And we eventually ended up uh, saying sorry and moving on. But I remember those times with my brothers. We had those moments, right, in our lives growing up where we always fought. Today, we're going to be looking at two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And so when we look at their story, we see a little bit of a different uh, relationship. And, And it actually begins from birth, right? It begins from the time they were conceived to see the story that plays out, that God uses to birth a new nation, that God uses to redeem Jacob and Esau, but there's a lot that happens in between. And so what I figured I'd do today is we'll just go through the story of Jacob. I'm going to hit the high points, and then we're going to listen to a song at the end. And as we listen to that song, I want God to work in our hearts, because we've all been in a place where these brothers have been. We've all experienced some of the things they've experienced to some degree. And so as we go through this together, let's, let's just be open and ready for what God has for us this morning to speak to us. See, Jacob and Esau, grandfather was Abraham. Their father was Isaac. They were twins. Now here's some of the funny things. When we look at this and we look at how they were named in the Bible, it was very practical, right? We might find it a bit humorous. So when Isaac, when Rebecca gave birth to the twins. Esau was the first one to come out. And he was born, and the Bible says that he was hairy. So they named him Esau. That's why they named him Esau, because he was hairy. He was like a highlands cow, right? He was just full of hair. And so they named him Esau. But what was funny is Jacob comes out holding on to Esau's ankle, and they name him takes by the heel, or cheater, or deceiver. Right? Those are different, some of the different meanings we see in the Hebrew. From the beginning, we find two sons. One that's hairy, one that's called the heel grabber or the deceiver or the cheater. That's what they name them. That's kind of horrible names for your kids, isn't it? I mean, my name's Nathaniel. It's like gift of God. That's a great name, right? I mean, so, but like heel grabber and hairy one, right? I mean, come on. They're very practical. I will just give it to them. They're very practical. But but what I love and what, 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 we, what we see here in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 24, beginning verse 24, that's where we're first going to read if you want to get your Bibles ready. Genesis 25, verse 24 is where we'll begin. We're going to see immediately a separation take place. Let's begin to read there. Verse 25, chapter 25, verse 24. When her, Rebecca, days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red and his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's hill, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. And here's, I just want to point this out. Isaac loved Esau. But it doesn't say that Isaac loved Jacob. 
it does say that Rebekah loved Jacob. So from the very beginning, we see a separation. We see a difference between mom and dad and who they favored, who they loved in the family. Now, if you have kids, do you have a favorite? I don't know. I know my middle son would say that I love Parker more than I love him. Sometimes he throws that out, and that hurts. It stings sometimes as a dad, right? Because I do my best to make sure that I'm not equal to them, but that I approach them and direct to them and talk to them how they need to be taught. Because each kid's different, right? You can't treat them all the same. I love what Andy Stanley says about his kids. You've got to deal with them in their own way because they're all different. They don't come out the same. God didn't make them all just, you know, equals. He made them very different and very unique in who they are. And so I have to watch that with Kenan because he automatically defaults to that. And so I try to overcompensate that sometimes too much. Sometimes I do it right. Sometimes I don't. I fail on that as a dad at times. But here we see a direct separation. Esau loves, or or Jacob loves Esau. But we don't see that said about about, um, Jacob. So as the story proceeds on, we see this separation. Jacob's at home. Esau's out in the field, right? And one day Esau's out in the field. He's working hard. He's hunting. He's an explorer. His dad loves him for those reasons. He comes home. And then Jacob's there in the tent. He's making food, which I think he's done probably more than once. This instance of the story, we see this happen. But I'm sure that Jacob had saw a pattern in Esau's life develop. So he knew that Esau would come in hungry. And here in Genesis chapter 25, verses 29 through 32, we see Jacob sell a bowl of soup to Esau for his birthright. Right? We see that happen. So the separation begins to to separate even more. Then in Genesis chapter 27, it's a story that most of us have heard a lot of times. And it's a story where Jacob, with the help of his mother, who loves him more, steals his brother's blessing. Now, here's what's important to understand about the blessing, right? Esau, being the firstborn, was given a double portion of what his father had made or was given, right? Esau, that was his right as the firstborn to have a double portion. So all of his land, all of his homes, all of his sheep, everything that he has earned and accumulated over his life, Esau was due to have a double portion of that and Jacob would get whatever is left over. So with the help of his mother, Jacob and Rebekah dress Jacob up. They make him hairy like his brother, right? They put goat skin on him. He has to lower his voice. He has to make a very fine meal that his mother helps him with. He goes in as his dying father on his dying deathbed, can't see very well, and he tricks his father into getting that blessing for himself. Now, of course, as the older brother, if my brother Josh would have done that, and I get the, I, now I've been removed of my uh, birthright and my inheritance, you'd just be a little mad, right? Just a little bit. It's almost like a trust fund baby, right? It's like, hey, this guy came and stole my trust fund, man. I can't do this anymore. I can't live the way I want to live because you took it all. You took everything from me. So Esau comes in, says, you know what? That Jacob, father, give me a blessing. <laughs> right? Isaac gives him a blessing that he can, but then Esau swears to kill his brother. 
the separation continues to grow, and it grows even more to the point to where now we see Jacob in chapter 28. He's fleeing his homeland because he's in fear of his life, for his life, because of what he's done. And rightfully so, right? Rightfully so that he should be scared because he knows that his brother's a hunter. He knows that his brother is good with killing things. And, well, he's a tent maker, and he's good at tending sheep. That's not his skill, right? And so Esau has got an advantage over Jacob. So the only thing he can do is run. And he runs to his uncle Laban's home, instructed by his mother and his father. And there he ends up being for a while. But what's neat is here in uh, chapter 28, we see Jacob's dream happen as he's on his way to his uncle Laban's home. And I want us to read there in verse 20. So chapter 28, uh, verse 20, we're going to read. And it says this. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all of that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So we see here, in this moment, it's kind of interesting It's almost it seems that Jacob hadn't really yet in this moment really grasped on to his father's God, right? He says, if you do these things for me, if you bring me back to this homeland, if you feed me and clothe me, then you will be my God. He hadn't really held on to God yet in this moment. He'd only lived for himself. He'd only lived in the shadow of his brother Esau, the unfavored one, as Esau was the favored one. He hadn't really grasped and grabbed hold of God, who his father had led him to this point. So as we continue to read in Genesis 29, we see Jacob come to Laban. He sees his future wife, Rachel, at the well, and he, he, he longs to be with her, but a series of events take place, and you could say maybe that Jacob kind of gets what he deserves in Laban. So what happens is Jacob makes a deal in uh, chapter 29 with Laban, says, hey, if you, if you will work with me, work for me, Laban says this to Jacob, for seven years I'll let you marry my daughter Rachel, right? And so what happens is J- Jacob says, sure, I'll do that. I'll, I'll work for you for seven years um, if I can have your daughter Rachel. Well, Trickery happens, right? And I think this is a little bit of repayment for, for what Jacob had done. And on the wedding night, Laban instead sends his older daughter, who the Bible says isn't as pretty as Rachel, right? Sends her in, and Jacob lies with her. And then he rises the next morning, which I'm kind of wondering, like, where was Jacob at in this whole time to not realize that it wasn't Rachel? But who knows, right? There's not a lot said there. But he wakes up and realizes, like, hey, it's, it's, it's your oldest daughter. It's, it's not who I made the deal for. Like, hey, what happened here? And, and Laban goes, well, that's really not our custom. Well, you could have told me that sooner, right? You could have told me that a lot sooner than this. And so Jacob ends up making another deal with Laban for another seven years. And in return, Laban gives him his wife, Rachel. And so for 14 years, Jacob works there, and then he spends another six accumulating flock 
and taking care of Laban's flock. And then that leads us to Genesis chapter 30 as we see Jacob prospering and God blessing him and pouring out just immense uh, uh, prosperity to him as he takes care of Laban's sheep. And then in 31, what we start to see is Laban's workers and his family start to see Jacob as a threat. So Jacob starts hearing the murmurings and their gossip and says, we've got to leave. And God tells him to leave. And so they leave. But Laban doesn't want them to leave because he's also been blessed by Jacob being there with his family. And he pursues them. And eventually they come to a, a pass And Jacob says, can you please let me leave? I've done all this for you. I've committed to you the years that I have promised. I have done everything you've asked for me to do. And Laban decides to let them go. And so Jacob and Laban finally part ways. But here's what's funny about this. We read it in a few chapters, but it took 20 years for this to happen. Seven years to marry Leah. Seven years more for Rachel and then six more years to tend the flock. See, one thing I think when we go through the Bible and we read it at home or we write a, read a Bible plan, we go through a couple pages, a couple verses, maybe a couple chapters, and it feels like it all happened bang, 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 but it didn't. It took two decades for Jacob to earn and to work and to labor to get what he was trying to get. But then it comes to this crucial moment. And I can imagine for 20 years, Jacob stewed over this moment time and time again. Remember the prayer that he had prayed that if you, God, if you bless me and give me food and clothes, and if you give me those things and bring me back to my home, God, then I'll follow you. We see that begin to play out here. As Jacob faces his past. In Genesis chapter 32, Jacob knows now it's time to go home. But there's that looming concern that Esau is waiting. Esau, his brother, has also prospered in this time, right? Esau has also been blessed, and God has granted him a lot of land and a lot of men that follow him. And so we see Jacob begin to prep. Jacob doing what he knows best, he prays and he asks God for help. And we're going to read here in Genesis 32, verses 9 through 12. I'll give you a second to get there. Genesis 32, verses 9 through 12. It says this. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, and he reminds God of this, I will surely do you good. And make your offspring as a sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob sends a peace offering. He sends a beautiful gift to his brother Esau ahead of him. He sends the family on ahead of him. And before he crosses the Jordan back again, before he steps foot back on his homeland, 
in that same chapter, we see God and Jacob together in the field. We see them wrestling. We're going to begin in verse 24 there. Chapter 32, verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. Remember, he had sent the gift and his family ahead of him. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint, and he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. See, you know, thinking back about brothers, a lot of times the arguments that I had with my brothers came about us oftentimes not just being physical, but sometimes we'd call each other names or make fun of each other or different things. Or maybe growing up, you've experienced that. I remember in grade school, I remember I thought I had a great group of friends that we played football all season long over at uh, Washington Grade School. And I remember one, one day I thought that a friend, that we were friends, he, he mentioned to another person that I happened just to be in earshot of, of how he thought I was a nerd and a dork and he wasn't a friend of mine, right? And those words hurt, right? And so here I think what's important for us to realize is that Jacob was so caught up in who he was, how he was born, and how he was treated, right, by his brother Esau, and by potentially even his father, that he wasn't looked upon favorably. Remember, he was the unfavored one. Esau was the favored one from his father's perspective, and he needed to be reaffirmed. He had spent 20 years building what God had allowed him to build, and to have two wives, and to have a, a bunch of kids, and to have all these sheep and herdsmen and servants. He had worked really hard to have those, but what he'd stole from Esau really wasn't his. He had never been given something that was his by God, by his father. And so here we see Jacob wrestle God, saying, no, I will not let you go. I will not let you go until you bless me. I've worked hard. I've labored Do you see what I've done? Do you see who I am? Can you affirm that in me? And God does. And what I love is that God doesn't just bless him. He takes his name and he changes it. No longer is Jacob, Jacob, the deceiver, the cheater, the one who grabs by the heel, the heel grabber. No, no, no. Now he's Israel. Now a whole nation is going to be named after him. A whole people is going to be named after him because God changed his name. See, God isn't in the business of name calling. He's in the business of name changing. And here he changes Jacob's name. He blesses him. And he sticks in him and in his heart a foundation of who he's to be in the the future. And here's what we love. It's what our movies in America are made of, right? Right? reconciliation, right? We see this next happen. 
as Jacob comes face to face with his brother afar in chapter 33, we see Jacob getting on his knees and bowing as his brother and 400 men behind him are coming. You gotta only imagine what's going through Jacob's mind. There's 400 men. He's either gonna kill me or he's gonna wipe us out. He's gonna take everything I have or he's gonna forgive me. Can only imagine what Jacob is going through as he's kneeling and bowing at his brother and his brother sees Jacob from afar. The song that comes to mind is by an old Christian band. And it said, mercy came a-running. And that's what we see in Esau. We see Esau seeing his brother, and he's not mad, he's not angry. No. He embraces his brother, and he weeps with his brother. And there in that moment, we see a sweet moment where brothers are reunited. They're reconciled, and there's peace in the family. Now, I know that doesn't always happen. Here it does. I know there may be some people in your life that maybe you haven't been able to reconcile things with, and I understand that's hard. But remember, it took 20 years to get to this point. Sometimes God has to do a work in us. Sometimes God has to do a work in them. Sometimes that may never come, but we can only pray that it does. And here we see that happen. I have to be honest. As I came back from vacation last week and as I started preparing for this message, I had done some reading prior to that. Uh, I tell you what, I've been struggling myself because this COVID thing and what we've gone through as a church family and just maybe that time in my life, I'm 43, and asked my wife, there's just been things stirring in my heart that I'm not quite sure what God's doing. And I've wrestled with God, like Jacob wrestled with God. I said, God, Help me figure out what's going on in my mind and my heart. And Sometimes I feel like I'm a failure because I, I don't always do the things that God wants me to do. And sometimes I look at my kids and like, man, what did I do um, to mess up sometimes or say things I shouldn't say? I think we're all there at times, right? We make mistakes. We don't always do the things we want to do. Paul said it best, I know the things, the good I ought to do, but I don't do it. And I think as we look at Jacob, and he looks back over those 20 years, like, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? But this moment with my brother, it, it brings some peace to the storm. We see later on as Jacob life unfurls, we see some of the same problems. Jacob loves Joseph more than any of his other sons. And we see that same favoritism play out. You would think Jacob would have learned because he wasn't the favorite. Why would he have a favorite, right? But even he messes up. That's the beautiful thing about the Bible is because all these people are messed up. They have lives that you look and go like, man, you, you were a cheater, you were a liar, you were a thief, and God still used you to bring about the Messiah in your lineage. He still used you to bring about his grace and his mercy. He still used you, despite of all of your failures, to bring about his will and his plan. As I was doing some research, I came across the art of kintsugi. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's the art of actually putting back together broken things. 
And they used gold and silver and precious metals to take clay pots and to piece them back together. But what they end up making, go ahead and put it back up there, Bryson, is they make beautiful pieces of art. See, that's what God does to us. All of our broken pieces, all of the pieces that don't fit sometimes that we don't understand, maybe we feel like our whole lives hit the floor and shatter into shambles. This is what God does. He takes his grace and his mercy and he weaves it in between all the cracks and he puts us back together and he makes us a beautiful piece of art. Reminds me of the scripture out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. We have these treasure in jars of clay. We are those jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. See, God is with us and God takes those failures. He takes those pieces and he puts them back together and he makes us whole again. And he only does that through his son, Jesus and I tell you what, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, it's not always easy. Man, I tell you what, sometimes there's great days. It's like a roller coaster ride where you're high as a kite and you're at the top of that peak and it's awesome, it's amazing. And then there's those days when it's slow as a valley and you're just like, God, I just can't do this anymore. I can't walk this way. I don't think you can put me back together, God, because I've fallen apart. But remember, he created you, he created me. He knows every intricate detail, every hair on our heads. He has no problem putting us back together. As a matter of fact, those scars, those veins, those lines, those are the moments we remember that God stepped in. Those are the moments that we remember that God did that. Not me, not I, but God. So as I get ready to close, I wanted us to take a moment and there's a song by Big Daddy Weave called Redeemed. And I have to be honest, this song has been ripping me up, wrecking my heart and my mind as we go through the series. And I just want us to listen to it. Listen to the songs, listen to the words in the songs. And as you, as you maybe pray and just listen to it, just let God speak to you. Say, God, what do you need to redeem in my life? Right now, what do you need to redeem in my heart? God, what do you need to redeem in me? so that you can use me again. Because I tell you what, when we're at our weakest, God's at his strongest. And if we live in that place where we're humble and weak before God, it's amazing what he can do through us. So as we listen to this song, as we just reflect, let God begin to point out things in your life. Maybe you just need to say yes to Jesus. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's something that you're going through now. Maybe it's a struggle now that you're going through that God's going to be able to use it and redeem. Let's listen to this song.
Then you look at this prisoner and say to me, son, stop fighting a fight. It's already been won. And I am redeemed. You said That's the beautiful thing about this story of Jacob is that God redeemed redeemed him and used him in mighty ways. And so this morning as the worship band comes out and as we close out, I just I just want us to all be open and ready to let God use us in mighty ways. He's done so much for us and 
no matter what we've been through and how bad we've failed, that God, God is full of grace and mercy. He can use each one of us in such a mighty way. can use songs like that to just wreck us. We're living in hard times, and man, there's a lot going on, but God is faithful. He is so good to us, and I just pray that God help us to hold fast, to hold strong, to lift each other up. There's so much negative in the world and so many uncertain things and so much fear that we need to proclaim it back. And in my life and in our lives, we need to proclaim it back because the devil's winning and we're not fighting very hard. I feel like it. we need to start fighting. Because God's got a, a big plan for So God, help us each and every day. Lord, help us to just follow you the best we can with all that we have. And no matter our failures, don't let us let them hold us back, God, because we can go forward with you. Together, forward with you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I just thank you. God, thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. God, thank you for giving us stories like Jacob and Esau and Tamar and Jonah. Stories to see that, man, no matter what, no matter if we make a good decision or a bad God, in the end, that those who love you, God, that all things work to the good for them. God, help us to love you with all that we are. God, thank you for redeeming me. God, help me to lead my family and to lead my team and my friends. God, let me to lead them closer to you each day. And God, I pray that each of us do that in our homes first, God, and to our neighbors and our friends around us, God. And if anybody's here and needs to say yes to Jesus, it's just as simple as that. Just say yes, Jesus. I say yes to you. Come into my life. Change me. Mold me. Shape me, God. Let me be like a piece of art that all the cracks are seen. But that's okay because they're reminders of what God has done in my life. God, thank you for breaking us. God, for humbling us. God, then use that in our lives to lead people to you. I pray a blessing over each one this morning in the room and watching online that God, you just work in their lives. Wreck them. That's been my prayer. Wreck us. God, wreck us. Not to be anymore about us. But God, to be for you.
love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us despite our flaws. Give you all the praise and all the glory. Amen.